0: Boys and girls, some of you probably in school have studied the tabernacle of Israel, that wonderful structure that was built in the desert, a structure that was built exactly according to God's plan. And perhaps you've seen pictures, there are some beautiful pictures available of the tabernacle, And inside the courtyard stood this very large box called the altar of burnt offering. And that altar of burnt offering was a very important piece of furniture. So important that all the other pieces of furniture in the tabernacle the laver, the table of showbread, the candlestick, the altar of incense, the ark, all of them would fit inside of the altar of burnt offering. And so the altar of burnt offering was the most prominent feature of the tabernacle of Israel, and for very good reason. Because congregation on that altar... The sacrifices were brought. On that altar, the lambs of God were slain and sacrificed every single day. What happened at that altar was the foundation for God's relationship with Israel. Were it not for that altar, And the blood that was shed every single day pointing to the sacrifice of the Lord Jesus Christ, God could not have been the God of Israel, and Israel could not have been the people of God. It is God Himself who ordained that the bloody sacrifice would be the foundation of His relationship with the people of Israel. And so the reason why the altar of burnt offering was the largest piece of furniture is because it points us to the cross, the cross of Calvary. And the cross of Calvary is at the very center of all of God's purposes. All of God's good pleasure, His entire plan of redemption revolves around what happened at the cross of Calvary. Were it not for that cross, and what happened on that cross, were it not for the Savior who suffered and died on that cross, there would be no redemption. That's why we could say, and I'm sure you've heard this before, that's why the cross is the centerpiece of history. All of history revolves around that cross. Before Jesus died, all of history was moving towards the cross. And ever since Christ died and rose again, all of history flows out of that cross. And that's why the great Apostle Paul so simply summarized his entire ministry when he wrote to the Corinthian church and when he told them, I have but one desire, and that is to know nothing else among you save Jesus Christ and Him crucified. And that's why it is a very good tradition that annually we focus on the suffering and dying of the Lord Jesus Christ. For that is the very heart of the gospel And the Holy Spirit will see to it that what happened at Calvary's cross, that that becomes the centerpiece of our our own experience. And so when the Holy Spirit works savingly in the hearts of sinners, His great work is to make room in our hearts for a crucified Christ. A Christ who was wounded for our transgressions, who was bruised for our iniquities, so that through him we could be reconciled with God. And so as we have entered this season, we're going to follow the Savior uh, as we find his journey to the cross recorded in all the Gospels, of course, and this year we hope to focus on what we find in the Gospel of Matthew. With God's help, we're going to begin by focusing on that wonderful event that we read about, namely the anointing of the Lord Jesus by Mary. And so let's read again verses 6 through 13 of Matthew 26. 6 through 13 of Matthew 26. And there we read God's Word in our text. Now, when Jesus was in Bethany... In the house of Simon the leper, there came unto him a woman having an alabaster box of very precious ointment and poured it on his head, and he sat at meat. But when his disciples saw it, they had indignation, saying, To what purpose is this waste? For this ointment might have been sold for much and given to the poor. When Jesus understood it, he said unto them, Why trouble ye the woman? for she hath wrought a good work upon me. For ye have the poor always with you, but me ye have not always. For in that she hath poured this ointment on my body, she did it for my burial. Verily I say unto you, wheresoever this gospel shall be preached in the whole world, there shall also this, that this woman has done be told for a memorial of her. And so Jesus anointed by Mary in Bethany, and specifically in the house of Simon the leper. First of all, we will see that that anointing was an expression of Mary's love to Jesus. And that is, that is expressed even tangibly, as we will see, by the very expensive ointment that she literally poured out over him, his head and over his entire body. So as an expression of Mary's love to Jesus, secondly, misunderstood by the disciples of Jesus, because they challenged what she did. They were filled with indignation. They thought that what she did was a waste of precious ointment that could have been sold for much money, at least 300 pence. And then thirdly, explained by Jesus himself, Jesus who comes to her defense and who explains to his disciples What it was that moved Mary to anoint him when he said, she did it for my burial. She has done a good work upon me. And of course, then really endorsing what she did by saying, what she has done will be told as a memorial wherever this gospel is preached. So, Jesus anointed by Mary as an expression of her love, misunderstood by the disciples, and explained by Jesus himself. The context of this passage is the amazing resurrection of Lazarus, the brother of Mary. Because even though Mary's name is not mentioned, the vast majority of commentators all concur that what we find in Matthew 26... And in Mark 14, so parents, you can jot that down, and you may want to look at this other parallel passage, Mark 14, verses 1 through 9, and what we find in John 12 is one and the same story. And so this took place in the house of Simon the leper. But the context of this is that Christ had performed the greatest of all His miracles, when he raised Lazarus from the dead. It was the third person he raised from the dead, but as you know, what was so remarkable about that miracle is that Lazarus had been in the grave several days, which meant that his body was already in a state of decomposition. And this miracle was so remarkable, so astonishing, that many believed in him because of what they had witnessed. But sadly, sadly, it made the scribes and Pharisees all the more determined to eliminate. Such is the wickedness. Such is the radical depravity of the human heart. And so we read in verse 4 that they consulted that they might take Jesus by subtlety And kill him. But they said, not on the feast day, lest there be an uproar among the people. Not only did they want to kill Jesus, but they wanted to kill Lazarus as well. They wanted to eliminate the living evidence of this miracle. And that's why it is stated in John 12 specifically that Lazarus was one of them that sat at the table with him. Of course, that confirms that this did not happen in the house of Mary, Martha, and Lazarus because there would have been no need to mention the fact that Lazarus sat at his own table. But Lazarus sat at the table in the house of Simon the leper. Simon, who no doubt was a leper who had been healed by the Lord Jesus. And here we find this remarkable gathering in the house of Simon the leper. There were at least 16 people there, Mary, Martha, Lazarus, and Simon, and the 12 disciples. There was only one man in that crowd that did not love the Lord Jesus Christ in sincerity. The other ones, they belonged to Christ's close and intimate friends. And Jesus knew very well that the Pharisees were now plotting to put him to death. But it's very clear from Scripture that Jesus was not crucified because the Pharisees succeeded in their evil plot. No, we read in Luke 9, verse 51, And it came to pass, when the time was come that he should be received up, he steadfastly set his face to go to Jerusalem. And so he ultimately was not nailed to Calvary's cross because of the evil counsel of the scribes and Pharisees. But he ultimately was nailed to the cross because of God's own determinate counsel. He knew his time had come. And he steadfastly, steadfastly, set his face to go to Jerusalem, determined to honor his father by giving himself as a sacrifice for an innumerable multitude of sinners steadfastly, because he was determined to give himself as a living sacrifice to secure the salvation of an innumerable multitude of sinners such as we are. And ultimately, dear believer, He steadfastly went to Jerusalem. He steadfastly moved towards the cross of Calvary because he also was determined to secure your salvation, to secure your redemption. And a few days, there is some difference of opinion, and I will not weary you with how to reconcile the six days and the two days. Um, There are some very good explanations how this all fits together. But the point is, a few days before his crucifixion, Jesus once again comes to a home and to a town where he found friends. That's where also Mary and Martha and Lazarus lived. They also lived in Bethany. And this was one of those moments where before before going on that pathway that would lead to Golgotha, that he has, as it were, desired Yet a moment of quietness, a moment of reprieve, a moment where he would be surrounded by those who genuinely loved him, Judas being, of course, the exception. And it's at this meal in the house of Simon the leper that suddenly Mary gets up and she has an alabaster box, we're told, an alabaster, uh, probably a flask. A, a new flask filled with very special ointment. And then she breaks it, and she pours it out over his head. And ultimately, as Jesus says himself later, she has poured this ointment on my body, over his body, so that it flowed literally down to his feet. And that's why we read in John 12 that she ended up also wiping his feet. So who is, who is this Mary? Well, what's remarkable is that at three occasions we read that we find Mary at the feet of Jesus. That's that's what defined her. And so let me read the three passages where we find Mary at the feet of Jesus. And why is that so important? Well, you see, that explains why she did what she did. That tells us a great deal about this woman named Mary Mary. First of all, in Luke 10, verse 39, that's the the story where we meet uh, Mary, Martha, and Lazarus for the first time. That's that story where Martha gets all upset because she is doing all the work and Mary is sitting at the feet of Jesus. And then is when Jesus very lovingly corrects Martha. And so we read in Luke 10, verse 39, and she had a sister called Mary which also sat at the feet at, at Jesus feet and this is important and heard his word that's an important statement because what she does here gives evidence that she had more than heard what he said with the outward ear she had heard she had understood she had begin she had begun to understand who he was And why he came. So that's number one. Then in John 11, verse 32, that's the chapter where Christ comes and raises Lazarus from the dead. Then when Mary was come, where Jesus was and saw him, she fell down at his feet, saying unto him, and here what I'm going to read now, these are the only recorded words of Mary. We, Martha spoke much more. That was her character. The only recorded words of Mary are here. Lord, if thou hadst been here, my brother had not died. And then, of course, in John 12, verse 3, where we read, then Mary took a pound of ointment of spikenard, very costly, and anointed the feet of Jesus. So, some commentators suggested, and I think it's something worth thinking about, is that, is there not a connection here with the fact that Christ is the Anointed One? Did she not thereby honor Him as the Messiah? And I think there is something to be said for it. Some commentators even suggest that in these three passages, we have three references through the three offices of Christ. Something worth thinking about. Because in the first passage, she sits at Jesus' feet to hear his word, to hear his prophetic ministry. In John 11, when she comes and says, Lord, if thou hadst been here, she casts herself at his feet and seeks his priestly compassion in the midst of her sorrow. And here, in this particular case, she honors him as king by wiping his feet, by by bowing, as it were, before him. So I will leave it for that. Uh, it's, it's It's an interesting way of looking at it. But I think we can safely say that it's not insignificant that here on the eve of his crucifixion that God so directs matters that this woman, as an expression of love, anoints the anointed one. Namely, our blessed Lord Jesus Christ. A congregation, the reason for her doing this, because that's what we'll see, of course, later, the reason for her doing this is that this woman had a very close relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. And so the blessed result of her being found time and again at the feet of Jesus is that she had a great insight, a great spiritual insight into the person and work of the Lord Jesus Christ. Because even though she was a quiet woman, she evidently was a very spiritual woman. A woman who reflected on that which she heard at the feet of Jesus. What a beautiful application we can make for that ourselves. Because congregation, how much time do we spend at the feet of Jesus? Because you see, our spirituality, our spiritual growth is proportionally related to how much time we spend at the feet of Jesus the more time we spend at his feet of course not physically but the more time we spend at with his word the more we abide in him the more we dwell in his presence the more we take time to hear what he has to say by means of his word the more we will grow in our understanding of who the Lord Jesus Christ is, who He is in His person and in His work. Congregation, I fear that, and I start with myself, that sometimes in our busy lives we are too busy to be at the feet of Jesus. We cannot prosper spiritually, we cannot grow spiritually, we cannot grow in the grace and knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ unless, just like Mary, we are found at His feet. And that's why the Lord Jesus commended Mary when her sister complained about her. And she said, she has chosen the better part. Not that means that Mary had no responsibility, but... Christ clearly perceived at that time why it was that this quiet woman, why she sat at his feet. Oh, he perceived there was a hunger in our soul after him, a hunger to know more of him. And so we can truly say that to be at the feet of Jesus is the most blessed place here on earth. Oh, I ask you, congregation, can you in any way relate to this? Have you experienced in your own life how blessed it is to be at His feet? How blessed it is to walk with Christ, to live in fellowship with Him, to commune with Him daily. What a blessing it is to feed upon His precious Word. And so here we see How the Lord Jesus, as the living word, meant everything to this woman, this Mary. His word meant everything to him. And what that means here, in the context of our text, is that Mary had also paid careful attention to the various times that Jesus had made an announcement to his disciples and to his followers that he would both die and rise again. And I again checked it this morning, when you look at all the passages, so if you have a computer concordance, you can find all the passages in Mark, Matthew, or Matthew, Mark, and Luke, where Christ announces to His disciples that He was going to die and rise again. Let me give you one of them, Matthew 16, verse 21. From that time forth began Jesus to show unto His disciples how that He must go unto Jerusalem and suffer many things of the elders and chief priests and scribes, and be killed and be raised again the third day. We know that somehow the disciples managed to forget it. Even the enemies of Christ knew that he had said this. Why was it that the scribes and the Pharisees went out of their way to secure the grave of Christ? Because they had heard him say that he would not only die, but that he would rise again. But it's very evident from what happens here that Mary had heard him and that Mary had begun to understand what all of this meant because that's what moved her to do what she did. We will see in a moment when Jesus explains To Mary and to all that are gathered there, why Mary did what she did. And so we read about this great act of love. Because that's what it was. When Mary takes this flask of very, very expensive ointment. So in Matthew we read that it was very precious ointment. We read that in in Mark 14 that it was a box of ointment of spikenard, very precious. And then in John 12, verse 3, we read that it was very costly. And we know that it was very costly because the criticism she received from the disciples and especially from Judas, that that bottle of spikenard, that bottle of perfume could have been sold for at least 300 pence. And why is that mentioned in Scripture? Why is it mentioned several times? It's to highlight the very nature of what Mary did here. So, what is 300 pence? So, one pence in Jesus' day, one pence was the daily wage of a laborer. So, 300 pence, literally, was the annual wage of a laborer. And I did some of the math, so if we assume that a man works five days a week, eight hours a day, for perhaps as a laborer, $20 an hour, you come to an amount of about $40,000 worth of ointment, is what Mary poured out over the head of the Savior. Congregation, What does that communicate? What that communicates is that Christ meant everything to her. She, without any hesitation, now whether Martha, Mary, and Lazarus were people of means, we're not sure, but this was very, very expensive. And without any hesitation, she pours out that entire bottle over his head. Now some commentators who question whether John 12 is a parallel account uh, to these other argue that in John we read that she wiped his feet but Jesus himself in Matthew 26 verse 12 and in Mark 14 verse 9 or verse 8 specifically says that she anointed his body not just his head she anointed his body and so therefore that included his feet and so if you take this whole bottle this whole bottle filled with spikenard, she literally poured it over his head and it just ran down his body all the way down to his feet and then she wiped his feet. And so, boys and girls, what Jesus or what Mary simply communicated without words, without words, she was not a woman of many words, but by her deed, by that action, she she communicated first of all how very precious the Lord Jesus Christ was to her. She communicated by that act that this Jesus was to her indeed the chiefest among 10,000, that He was altogether lovely. Oh, she communicated by this deed that the Lord Jesus Christ meant everything to her. A congregation... That's why Peter writes in 1 Peter 1 verse 2, he says, unto you that believe therefore he is precious. And this is what Mary has in common with every true believer. A true believer is someone for whom Jesus becomes everything. A true believer is someone for whom Jesus Christ becomes so very, very precious for whom he becomes the altogether lovely one and the chiefest among 10,000. Congregation, can you relate to that? The experience that Mary had here was very unique, but can you relate to her to what motivated her to do this? We all understand what is meant by the word precious. And so, boys and girls, I ask you, What do you think of of this Christ? What do you think of this Jesus, whom Mary so greatly honored? This Jesus, whom she loved so very deeply? Is this Jesus, is He precious to you? And what's beautiful about this story, that she communicated that. Not by what she said, but she communicated it by what she did. She communicated that not only had she heard what Jesus said at his feet, but the hearing of what he said was so fruitful in her life that it made her a doer. It was by her deeds, by this deed that she communicated that Christ was precious. Congregation, would people be able to gather from your deeds and from my deeds that Christ is precious. Parents, would our children be able to say that that of us? Our children who live with us 24-7, our children who know us very, very well, would they be able to say of you, There's one thing I know is that my mom and dad love the Lord Jesus Christ. I can tell from the way they live. I can tell from everything that Christ is precious to them. Do our deeds, does our life, not just our words, but does our life communicate that Christ is precious to us? Is Christ worth more to us? than all the riches of the world. See, that's what's communicated here. And that's why the disciples were aghast. That brings us to our second point. Because suddenly at this very beautiful moment, at this very sacred moment... When Mary, by her deed, expresses her love for Christ not only, but as we will see in a moment, but but also communicates her understanding of who He is, her understanding of what is about to happen, no doubt reinforced by the fact that her own brother had just been miraculously raised from the dead. And so we read, but when the disciples saw it, They had indignation, saying, to what purpose is this waste? They called it a waste. And so in Mark we read, it says, uh, again, very similar, and there were some that had indignation within themselves and said, why was this waste of the ointment made? For it might have been sold for more than 300 pence and have been given to the poor. And they murmured against her. And from John 12, we know who was the instigator of this. Namely, Judas Iscariot. Judas Iscariot, who would prove to be the traitor. Judas Iscariot, who had such a place of esteem among the disciples that they had made him the treasurer. But John tells us he was a thief. Judas Iscariot, who was a brilliant hypocrite, who was a master at dissimulation? Who had all the disciples fooled? That when Jesus said, "One of you is going to betray me," they didn't even look in his direction. They said, "Lord," they said, "I am I the one?" And here, this hypocrite pretends to be concerned about the poor. And he said, "What a waste is this!" And it's about remarkable that John, inspired by the Holy Spirit, this he said, not that he cared for the poor, but because he was a thief and had the bag, and bear was, was therein. So here we have a woman who so evidently loved the Lord Jesus Christ, and we have a man who loved money. Mary loved Jesus, and Judas loved money. One commentator has this striking statement. He said, suddenly, the odor of love, because we we read that the house was filled with the odor of ointment, this spikenard, but also really we could say, filled with the odor of love that emanated from what Mary did. This this commentator said, the, the odor of love exposes the stench of hypocrisy. The odor of love exposes the stench of hypocrisy. Because you see, what this act of love of this quiet Mary did, it exposed who Judas really was. He was a a loveless hypocrite. What a painful moment that must have been for this tender, quiet, deeply thinking soul who out of the love of her heart showed her love for Christ who understood who he was and then suddenly to be accused by Judas Iscariot and by the other disciples that she had wasted precious resources of course we know that the devil was behind this and what happened here is not unusual that after a sweet moment, after a sweet moment with Jesus, that this is followed by the cold shower of enmity, misunderstanding, rash judgment, and discord. That's what happened here. That must, what, what, what a cold shower that must have been when this happened here. It was almost as if And I think we can say that that Judas deeply resented her, deeply resented what she did here. This was similar to what happened to David when finally the ark came to Jerusalem. And he was leaping for joy. And then he comes into the house. And then he gets his cold shower. And his wife... She comes to him and mockingly she says, How glorious was the king of Israel today, who uncovered himself today in the eyes of the handmaids of his servants, and of one of the vain fellows shamelessly uncovereth himself. How painful that was for David. David, who in spite of all of his weaknesses was like Mary, a man after God's own heart, a man who loved God with every fiber of his being and who was overjoyed that the symbol of God's presence had come now to Jerusalem and then to meet with this. that it still happens, congregation, because nominal Christianity, Christianity in name only, hates experiential Christianity, real Christianity, a Christianity where that living relationship with Christ is so tender and is so very, very real. It still happens today that those who are Christians in name only and who have no knowledge of this who do not know what it means to have an intimate experiential relationship with Christ, who do not know what it is to have an overflowing love for this Christ, for whom Christ ultimately is not precious, they are nominal Christians, Christians in name only. And when they encounter a genuine Christian, and when that genuine Christian speaks out of the fullness of his or her heart, and they speak about the preciousness of Christ, and when they speak about how they long to know more of Him, when they speak about what they learn at His blessed feet, to which the nominal Christian cannot relate, it's not unusual that the true Christian, just like Mary, will encounter this kind of enmity, this kind of opposition. Of course, Satan's real aim here was to disrupt the blessed fellowship between Christ and Mary. But fortunately and happily, this story tells us that Christ also knows when this happens. And Christ here now, He comes And speaks in defense of Mary. It says so beautifully in verse 10. When Jesus understood it. Oh, what a precious statement that is, congregation. When Jesus understood it. He knew what was going on. He knew what what this was doing to Mary. He knew what Judas was up to. He knew what His disciples were saying. He knew exactly what was happening. But most importantly, He comes to the defense of Mary. And this simple statement, congregation, is again so full of comfort, so full of instruction. Oh, the Jesus who understood what was going on here, the Jesus who understood what was happening here, is the same Jesus. Who understands you. It's the same Jesus who understands your circumstances. Who understands your trials. Who understands your perplexities. Who understands precisely all that happens. Who understands how Satan often in such subtle ways seeks to upstage us. Seeks to disrupt us. Seeks to rob us of that comfort that flows Out of our relationship with Christ. Oh, he understood it. He grasped it. We think of Psalm 35, verse 1, where David says, Plead my cause, O Lord, with them that strive with me. Fight against them that fight against me. And so Satan always loses in the end. He always achieves the very opposite of what he desires. Because when he goes after God's children, Christ, as the reigning king now at the Father's right hand, he will come to the defense of his assaulted child. And he says here, Why trouble ye the woman? For she has wrought a good work upon me. And the word that's translated good here in Greek is actually we could say, she has done a beautiful thing towards me. That's how Christ identifies what she has done. But notice to what he says, she has done it towards me. Notice how Christ clearly identifies the very nature of Mary's spiritual life. Her spiritual life congregation was all about him. He said, she did it towards me. And that's the essence, you see. In that sense, to define true spiritual life is so simple. True spiritual life revolves around the person and the work of the Lord Jesus Christ. That's why Peter says, unto you that believe, he is precious. That's why Jesus asked Peter three times in John 21, Peter, do you love me? That's it, you see. That's what I want to ask you. I want to ask the boys and girls that you can think about that too. Do you love, do you love this Lord Jesus Christ? Is this Christ, has he become everything for you? And how beautiful it is that Jesus, he bears witness to it. Mary did not say that about herself. But Jesus said it about her. She has done a good work upon me. And that's ultimately the good work of all good works. The preeminent act of devotion. And then finally, then Christ, the living word. He explains what's happening here. And it's repeated in both Matthew and Mark. Verily, and you know, boys and girls, when Jesus said verily, he meant to say something that was very important. He wanted everyone to pay careful attention to what he said. Verily, I say unto you, wheresoever this gospel shall be preached in the whole world, there shall also this, that this woman has done, be told for her a memorial for her. Because before that, he had said, she did it for my burial. In Mark 14, verse 8, it says, she has done what she could. She has come aforehand, ahead of time, to anoint my body to the burying. Mary had heard what Jesus said. Now, there are some commentators who suggest that Mary did this unconsciously. I think it's wrong. I'd agree with the majority who say, from the words of Christ, it's very clear that Christ gives her credit here for what happens. That Mary understood what she did. She understood the symbolism of what she did. In that culture, you would anoint someone, someone's body. Why? Because the Jews believed in the resurrection of the dead. That's why when Jesus died, the women, the other Marys, they went to the grave to anoint his body. So when the Jews, when they anointed, when they, not embalmed, that's the wrong word, but when they anointed a body with oil, it was a confession of faith that they believed in the resurrection of the dead. And so Mary not only believed that Jesus would die, that he would be buried. And ultimately, she believed that he would rise again. And what's amazing, what's amazing, that she did it before he died. But Jesus explains it to us. Jesus said, she did this for my burying. Oh, how this expresses too the love that Jesus had for this woman. The love that would motivate him to continue his journey when in a few days he would be nailed to the cross also on her behalf and it's remarkable we need to wrap this up that Jesus connects the gospel to this he is saying wherever this gospel shall be preached not just the gospel but this gospel what gospel The gospel of his death and resurrection. A gospel that Mary had begun to understand. Because congregation, that's the heart of the gospel. This gospel, this gospel, these glad tidings of my death, my burial, my resurrection, wherever that gospel will be preached. What she has done will be told as a memorial for her. I think I've used that example before, but again, boys and girls, think of, think of, of, of a suspension bridge. If you actually go online and you, you, you type in George Washington Bridge, that's one of a beautiful example of a majestic uh, suspension bridge, and you'll see a picture of two giant pillars, and this vast bridge that connects New Jersey and New York, this vast bridge hangs on two giant pillars. So we can say that the death and the resurrection of the Lord Jesus are the two pillars on which the entire gospel is suspended. Jesus said, wherever this gospel shall be preached in the whole world, and notice here how Christ is prophesying that that gospel will reach the whole world. And Jesus said himself that he would not return until the gospel will have been preached to all of the nations for a witness. So that's, that's, that's woven in here. Remarkable. We should not overlook that. And look how what he said is fulfilled today. I am preaching to you about Mary anointing Jesus. Because he said what this woman has done shall be told for a memorial for her. And why? Because it's not about Mary, but it's because what Mary did for Jesus. is because of Mary's faith in Christ. It's because of how she demonstrated her love for Christ how she demonstrated her understanding of who he was and why he came to suffer and die even in her place. So again, true Christianity revolves around the person of Christ. And so we don't preach about this to elevate Mary. Mary was a sinner but a sinner saved by grace. A sinner who loved the Lord Jesus Christ in sincerity. A sinner for whom Christ meant everything. A sinner who by the Holy Spirit's instruction had begun to understand who He was, why He came, and why He had to go to the cross. And why ultimately He would have to be, that, that he would have to be buried. Amazing. In light of what had just happened. Amazing in light of the fact that Jesus had proclaimed to her and to Martha, I am the resurrection and the life. That she would understand his death after he had just raised her brother from the dead. And so Mary is an eminent example of what genuine faith looks like. An eminent example of a person who by grace and through the work of the Holy Spirit was focused on the person and on the work of the Lord Jesus Christ. Oh congregation, what do you think of this Jesus? What do you think of, of God's anointed one? Of this Christ. Is your heart drawn to Him? Do you know Him? Do you know Him personally? Do you know Him experientially? Do you need such a Savior who died and rose again? Who was delivered for our offenses and raised again for our justification? Do you need such a Christ? A Christ who was made a curse so that we could be delivered from that curse. A Christ who was made sin, though he knew no sin, so that we who know no righteousness, that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. Mary was such a one. And she showed it by her deeds. How much she loved the Lord Jesus Christ. Christ. That's why Paul issues that solemn warning in 1 Corinthians 16. He says, if any man love not the Lord Jesus Christ, let him be accursed. That's quite something. If any man love not the Lord Jesus Christ, let him be accursed. And so in light of this story, and I hope you will reflect on it, in light of this story, I ask you, Do you love Mary's Savior? If he were to say to you, will you not also go away? Would you be able to say, but to whom else shall I go? Thou hast the words of eternal life. May God grant that that would be your and my confession. Amen. Let's pray. Lord, we give thee thanks that we could be in thy house. Bless thy precious word, that we too would be belong to those whose desire it is to be at thy feet, to hear thy word at thy feet, to be instructed by thee through that word, to manifest that love as Mary did, in such a remarkable and tangible way. Oh, that our lives would give some evidence that we too love this Christ in sincerity, and that that would manifest itself in the fact that we are not only hearers of the Word, but also doers of the Word. And so, Lord, let this bear fruit even today, that it would call us to honest self-examination as to what we think of this precious Christ. Bless us now as we depart from here. Bless the instruction that will be given to our children and our young people. Bless the Confession of Faith class as well. And we pray that also those means will be richly blessed by Thee. And that through those means, our precious children and the young people too would desire to be at the feet of this Christ. Gather with us again in this evening hour. We ask it alone in Christ's name. Amen.